I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Thanks to Earl for the update. Welcome back. We're Grant and Danny. You're listening to The Fan. Darius Dameron, Ryan Clary on the production. Sam Howell's been named the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders in their season finale against the Cowboys. 425 kick at FedEx Field. On Sunday, you're going to hear from Sam Howell his press conference with reporters after being named the starter for the first time in his NFL career just took place. We've got that for you. It's coming up in just a couple of minutes. Danny, let's take a trip down memory lane, though. These are the 27 (laughs) quarterbacks, ending with Sam Howe, who have started a game for the Washington Commanders. So I didn't look these up. I mean, obviously, I was there. I remember most, if not all of them. But I wanted to have my memories of them be spontaneous. Like, like word association style, first thing that comes to mind. Sure. Since 2000, Brad Johnson. Should have been since way past 2000. Thanks again, Dan. So Brad Johnson's my favorite quarterback that they've had here. That 99 team is my favorite Redskins team in history for me. I'm not old enough to remember the Super Bowls like a lot of you guys are. I've actually got a signed Brad Johnson football that uh, my parents bought for me for Christmas just a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, next to my TV in my man cave in the basement. Uh, I loved that 99 offense, man. They were the number two offense in the NFL that year. Two 1,000-yard receivers. Yeah, Brad Johnson threw for 4,000. Westbrook and Connell both went for a 1K, and Stephen Davis ran for 14.56. Norville Eugene dialing up the plays. uh, Scott Turner's pops. Uh, Jeff George is the next one on the list. Quote, leadership is not important, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like, leadership was is here. overrated. Is oh, it was overrated. Yeah, yeah, sorry. There you go. Uh, good enough. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I will give you one actual Jeff George memory that was pretty good. Do you remember the game where he came in? I think it was against the Rams, and mm-hmm. he led them back to a win, or maybe they were playing at the Rams, and he had a big game. Do you remember I think that it was in St. Louis. Yeah, I actually do. It, it just off his back foot, slinging it, you know, 60 yards on a line. Just the, the, the tools were never in question. Darius, I want you to look that up while we go on this list, on this journey here. Look up Jeff George starting for Washington. It would have been probably 00. Chance it was 01 at the Rams. Because I'm pretty sure he had a big day and a win. All right, next one. Tony Banks. Tony Banks. I think of him that incredibly long windup. I think of him just getting hit so hard so many times. It's Marty Schottenheimer's turn. Uh, telling, uh, I can't remember the bees, something, telling the sideline reporter whether they're down 30 something to nothing against Green Bay. You played the game. It's about toughness as they were getting shellacked on their way to an 0 5 start. 
Darius, I believe, has our numbers on Jeff George. Yeah, so it was week 12 of the 2000 uh-huh. season. Jeff George went 20, Definitely there. 24 of 34 for 269, three touchdowns. Or, yep. Excuse me, excuse me, three tutties. Three tutties. And an interception. Let's go. Major tutties there. Yeah. 33 to 20 victory in St. Louis. He lit it up. If I remember correctly, now this is going to be, what year was that? 2000? 2000. Correct. Yep. You're after their Super Bowl. So that's why it was a huge deal. Oh, that was such a – I mean, they had a field day. Do you have the box score up? Uh, I just have the, the quarterback stats. That's okay. all I got. Click yeah. on the box and find – I just want to know what receivers went ham sandwich that day. I want to know if it was a little Irving Fryer situation. Did Albert Connell go for 96? What, what did we do? All right, so Tony Banks, Danny, that was the 8-3 and three in their final 11 turnaround under Marty. That was another uh-huh. one of my favorite teams that this group had. He was way, way, way under-talented. He came from Baltimore. In fact, I think people sleep on this. He was the quarterback that got benched to go to Trent Dilfer. Dilfer. For the 2000 Ravens when they went and won the Super Bowl, and then he ended up here. I think he might have had a stop with the Rams at some point. But, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of handing the ball off to Stephen Davis. All right, now we get into the Steve Spurrier era. That was through Marty Schottenheimer. Shane Matthews. Shane Matthews. Among the Florida quarterbacks, he was definitely one of them. Shane Matthews' first ever game was a win against the Cardinals in week one. Stephen Davis ran it, I believe, 26 times. And I remember after the game hearing from people that Spurrier was livid that they ran it so much. They'd won, by the way. <laughs> and that that would change, uh, basically. That, that he was not happy with the play calling. Or, or, I mean, he, and that he, would change. Like He called the plays, essentially, but he wasn't happy about how it played out. Uh, Shane Matthews ended up on the quarterback carousel. Patrick Ramsey, the strong-armed first-round pick from Tulane. He always had a weird delivery to me. It was very natural and fluid, but it almost looked like his hand was under the ball when he threw. Again, we're just thinking about first things. So I think about his delivery. He could sling it super far, had, had a great arm, but his hand was underneath the ball instead of some of the guys that had that C-type grip. It always felt like it was underneath it. And he had a heat-seeking uh, uh, a gene in his body to find defensive players. I was always get hit hard. a Ramsey mark as a kid. True story, what I think of when I think of Patrick Ramsey, I cried. On my back deck, I remember I was outside shooting baskets. I'm listening to True Story, uh, 980 AM radio, and Steve uh-huh. Zabin and maybe Andy Poland or whoever he was with that day, and they announced that the, that Joe Gibbs is going to st- start Mark Brunel over Patrick Ramsey. And I was so mad because I said, well, it's just because they're both, you know, they both pray together. And I just started crying because yep. Patrick Ramsey was getting screwed. So for all the youngsters out there that are mad that Taylor Heineke's getting screwed, I've been there and I've done that. I get yeah, it. I cried on my back porch just like you guys. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? Uh, so Stephen Davis ran for uh, had 19 attempts for 85 rushing yards that game. Uh, on the receiving end, looks like James Thrash had five for 51 in a tutty. Uh, Larry Sinners had three for 11 in a tutty. That's weird. Uh, five for 96 for Albert Albert Connell. Let's go. And Irving Fryer also had a tutty. Three for 58. By the way, everyone's going to sleep. I, I literally said, I wonder if Connell went for 96 that day. Just just Boom. as an aside. All right, so uh, now we're going to Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel, what I remember about him, Danny, how about uh-huh. Osaka, Japan, baby? There it is. There it is against the Niners, right? They, what did they score, 49 in that game? You sleep on this. Ryan, you're probably too young to know this. They went to, for preseason to Japan. It was Steve Spurrier's first ever time coaching an NFL team. And he basically opened the entire play. They ran flea flickers in the preseason. 
It was unbelievable. They almost hung 50 on the Niners in Japan. Danny Werfel threw for like close to 400 yards. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, this team's going to score 100 every week. They're going. This is going to be the greatest offense ever assembled. <laughs> this this will so make the 99 Rams look like uh, the 2000 Ravens. Tim Hasselbeck next on the list. 0.0. 0. That's the first thing I think of. They didn't I think yeah. That poor guy coming in. At, like So in Spurrier's offense, they didn't – like Joe Gibbs' belief was – no matter what, you have to protect the quarterback, even if it means a one-receiver route. If they're hitting your QB, you put another guy in protection. They put another guy, another guy, another guy. Spurrier had the exact opposite approach. And Tim Hasselbeck watched quarterback after quarterback get assaulted in the backfield, including J. Patrick Ramsey. So I remember him coming into the game. I think it was at Dallas with Bill Parcells. Was just, they, were, they were cleaning their clocks. And it wasn't even a 1-1000, 2-1000. It was as soon as you hit that back foot, that ball's gone, whether it was complete or otherwise. And he also had a 0.0 quarterback rating game. I remember that. Yeah, I think that game was against – so his worst game might have been against the Cowboys. He played against the Dolphins in the rain, though. I remember a super rainy game in Miami, and that might have also been like a 0.4 or point, you know, 4.0 quarterback rating. That was a really rough one for him as well. Uh, Mark Brunel, I mean, he's the last guy – to win a playoff game for Washington. He did it while throwing for uh, literally 100 yards in Tampa against the Bucks. The crow-hopping left-hander, southpaw to his style. Probably the last left-hander to play a game for the Commanders as well. Mark I Brunel. think about him. Yeah, I, I called him Skip Brunel. I think of him just having to take a crow-hop like an outfielder trying to throw home just to get a check down in. Do you remember that game? I think it was in Houston where he started with 22 straight completions. Yep, set the record. And everyone's like, day. he's great. All of those were check downs. All of those were like comebacks. All of those were just the easiest pitch and catch throws in the world. Uh, he also, by the way, authored one of the great memories of a lot of people's lives that are Monday Night Miracle post Super Bowl Redskins fans. The Santana Moss, Santana Moss, when he caught two touchdowns against the Cowboys to beat Dallas on Monday Night Football. Uh, post Brunel. All right, so now we're into the Joe Gibbs era. Jason Campbell. Yeah, I. I I don't know if Jason Campbell could have been better than he was. That's the ultimate. How many offensive coordinators can we pile on this guy? How many completely different systems can we ask this guy to learn each year? So it's basically one a year because it was the Gibbs system, then it was Al Saunders came in, and there was a system before that. I don't know how good J Jason Campbell could have been. Great dude, right? I remember they traded back in to get him out of, in, in that draft. And I always thought that if he'd had a chance to be stable with an organization for a while, he might have been fine. Might have been far more solid than he was. That's always how I felt. I was a big Jason Campbell believer. You know, looking back and now studying the quarterback position as a grown-up and watching games differently and kind of having a different understanding of how things work. I mean, there, there's no doubt that he... It was never going to be one of the great quarterbacks in the league, but he had a huge right. arm. I mean, he really did. And there was a year, remember, people forget this, I think. He was the MVP of the first half? He was the MVP through like eight games of the season uh -huh. because he hadn't thrown an interception, and they were 6-2, and two, and Ron Jaworski and people on ESPN were basically calling him an MVP candidate. Now, that's a different era altogether because just not throwing picks doesn't win you the MVP in the league anymore. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when you just allowed him to manage the game a little bit and take some shots with that arm, he was never awful. But he, he got some other chances with the Raiders and with the Bengals after he left here. Todd Collins, I mean, is an easy one. He ended up having to play in 07 after Sean Taylor's 
tragic death. And Collins led the team on a four-game winning streak into the playoffs in 2007. Came crashing down when he threw a pick six and they lost in Seattle. But he came in against the Bears when Campbell went down the week after the two-timeout Bills game by Joe Gibbs. And Mm -hmm. Collins was just lights out down the stretch. It was a lot of Clinton Portis and Santana Moss taking short throws and making them big gains. A lot of Chris Cooley breaking tackles and getting to the sticks. But Todd Collins' four-game run was epic. Just throwing change-ups towards the sideline. Like, terrifying when Todd Collins would go, here we go, <laughs> and let it loose on like a on like an out route or like a deep out or something like that. And you just go, that's intercepted 10 times, and somehow it would get there. Donovan McNabb. Now we are into the Shanahan era. We are mm. into 2010 at this point. Donovan McNabb. I'll never forget where I was during the trade when it happened. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a prank. I thought it was a, a, a great big joke. There's no way that would happen. On two fronts, one, Philadelphia would let him go. And two, the guy that had tormented us and run out of Michael Jackson dances to do because he scored so many touchdowns in a game against us only a couple years before was going to come here. I immediately realized that any excitement I had should be tempered. And not only I shouldn't be excited, this wasn't going to work to such a high degree because there was no way that my organization was better than Philadelphia's. <laughs> and I was I was early on going, you guys, this is going to end badly. And then it did. So there's three things I remember about McNabb. Number one, the wristband saga. Remember, he oh, yeah. was so mad that he had to wear a wristband, basically, and he felt personally offended. Every quarterback all around the league right now just looks at his wristband, and, and it's just an easy way to do it. You just say, hey, play number 22. And then they call the play in the huddle. But that was a big deal for him for some reason. That's number one. Number two was the contract extension before Monday Night Football. Monday that, Night. That was fake. And it was just a big, phony, fraudulent thing that Bruce Allen cooked up to get some decent press after something wacky had happened. I don't remember what it was. He um, was benched for the two-minute drill in Detroit. That's what so it was. So that Rex Grossman could execute the two-minute drill because of cardiovascular or something or other? Cardiovascular That's what endurance. happens. Yeah. Yep. This, I remember that well. I was I was in Detroit in that press conference, and uh, and so then the the next thing they did the following week was name him the starting. Uh, excuse me, he was the starter again, and and they signed him to an extension. Of course, they would go on to not have him on the team beyond the end of that season. And in fact, he got benched with three games to go that year when he was on the precipice of breaking a franchise passing record, uh, which tells you a how good Kyle Shanahan's offense is, and b uh, just how much they didn't like him. Um, Rex Grossman is next. My favorite Rex Grossman memory is a personal one. So I covered him, and I was on the beat and spent a lot of time around him in the locker room. But you've always heard all the tales from Florida and all the stuff about Rex Grossman just wanting to throw it deep, That you know the, the original, like, bleep it, I'm just going to chuck it guy. And I just yep. remember one time talking to Rex during the, the Grossman-Beck controversy. And I remember asking him, like, hey, if, if you have to play, like, I don't remember what the question was, but, like, what's the deal? And he's like, bro, he's like, I don't care. I'm going to tell Aldrick Robinson to run as far as he can. I'm going to bleep and throw him the ball. And it's just, like, so fun. I'm like, you're just going to just go deep, huh? Like, basically the shtick you hear from the T-shirts. And he's like, I'm uh-huh. going to bleep, uh, bleep and throw him the ball as far as I can every time I drop back. And I don't care if it's picked off. We're going to air it out. And I was like, all right, Rex Grossman, let's rock and roll. My Rex Grossman memory is... In a win in St. Louis, he was so bad that they benched him despite being three and one. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a quarterback losing his gig at three and one because he was so horrendous, even though the team had won three out of the four games? That's what I'll remember forever. John Beck. What was the what was the number in Buffalo? Was it twelve? 
That's no, what's in my mind. I think it was nine Ten? sacks. Nine sacks. It seemed like more than that. It, it that's what that's what I think of that game in Toronto where John Beck got sacked half the times he dropped back against the Bills. Ryan Fitzpatrick led Buffalo. They uh, basically didn't bench him after that game, but the following week he threw it to Roy Hallou. Fifteen times broke the franchise record with fourteen <laughs> catches. Uh, just like I'm not getting sacked. Here you go, running back. Take the ball. Uh, Take it. All right, we're up to 2012. Robert Griffin. I'm going to say his run against the Vikings. Fourth down play in a game they'd ultimately lose, by the way, to the Giants because Washington couldn't figure out how to do a prevent defense. Um, and Victor Cruz got over the top of two different players to score a long touchdown, which is still beyond inexcusable, but whatever. There was a fourth and ten play. He made three all-pro caliber defenders who would have double-digit sacks miss, and he completed a pass to our buddy Logan Paulson for a first down. Immediately, my phone was flooded with messages from my college teammates and much of my buddies who are Giants fans going, oh, my God, you guys have the guy that's going to torment us for years. I remember that moment. I'll never forget it. Uh, Kirk Cousins is next. I'll go with 2015 when, when Gruden says it's Kirk's team or uh, later that year when he had the 360 yards in Philly for the, the division title. Um, obviously, it all kind of ended his final game here. He played poorly, and they lose to the Giants, and that changed a lot of things. But they, they just never could get a deal done with Cousins after – uh, he and his agent tried to do something early on, and they wanted him to keep proving it. And then those two sides just w- went separate directions. Remember the end of the half against Philadelphia. Remember that when, when Garcon wouldn't run the fade or whatever that that weird combo oh, was. Yeah, and that's right. He like kind of took a knee, half spiked it, and then just sort of was like, "Whoops, halftime." <laughs> yeah, I remember that? That was the same game, by the way. That was the 360 yeah. yard division clincher game. Oh, he was incredible in that game. But that end of the first half, everyone's like, "I don't understand this. I don't know what just happened." I, I've Let's never, never seen talk it. About it. Yeah, instead of spiking it, he took a knee. Th- that is the most cousins thing in the world, by the way. That like that's the play from that game that people remember. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You throw yes. 360 yards, four touchdowns, and a clincher, and yet that play comes up all the time. But you're right; it was like the most. It's I just had bl- never seen that. It's the all-time blooper of bloopers for sure. Uh-huh. Um, Alex Smith. I hate to say it because this isn't funny, but the injury. No, I mean, what else is there? No doubt. That's it, right? Uh, J.J. Watt ruining mm-hmm. his rest of whatever that career would have been. Josh Johnson beating Jacksonville, right? I wouldn't have even been able to pull that. Yeah. Yeah, end of the That's year. What it is. They beat the Jacksons. Uh-huh. I think they won. Lone win down the stretch. Colt McCoy got to be his Monday night win in Dallas where he and Jay Gruden no, were no question. hugging and kissing at midfield. No question. No question. And people wanting him, wanting to see him. For years in it after that, because of that W. Mark Sanchez, Jadaris, I need your uh, research skills again. I need you to look like this. Uh, look up the Sanchez start against the Giants at FedEx Field. This would have been whatever year he was on the team, uh, 2017, 18. 18. They got 18, beat 18. so badly. That was the only uh, – this is a dead true story. I had been begging my brother, we got to get my nephew to a game. We got to get my nephew to a game. This is his son. And so finally I buy tickets. I get them uh, sweet tickets. I get them to a game. They lost so badly to the Giants that day <laughs> that he said, this team, su- I'm not doing a bit. He said, your team sucks. And he has since then never like watched another game and been willing to go back there. He's basically this is Danny. your nephew? Yeah, he's basically sworn off this organization because that day I brought him there. I didn't know his fandom was at stake with Mark Sanchez starting. And it was like 49-7 oh. or something absurd. So I haven't even gotten to the box score yet. It's just the first thing I see is the drive summary. It goes, Washington, punt, Washington, punt, Washington, punt, 
Washington then punt. What? Washington punt. Washington interception. Washington yeah. punt. Washington punt. Washington punt. Come on, buddy. This is my team. <laughs> Washington turnover on downs. Aren't you having fun? You should love them like Uncle Cheap stuff. Oh, wait, guys. Come on, wait, bud. guys. Fourth quarter. Touchdown. Let's go. Washington touchdown. Hey! What was so, the yeah. score in that game? Uh, 40 to 16. 40 to 16. And by the way, the 16 came, as you could tell, after the 40. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was 40 to nothing at one point. Oh, there was um, another interception in oh, the fourth good. quarter, too. Case Later, Keenum. there was, you. I don't really have a Keenum memory. I'll say the three turnovers on Monday night against the Bears. That led to Haskins getting that. on the field. Maybe the I remember se- sitting that- 75 yard touchdown to McLaurin. His first start, Terry's first game, first game of the season against Philly, first quarter. That was pretty cool. Interviewing him at training camp is my first memory of, of Case Kingdom and being like, damn, that's an impressive dude. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, rest his soul. Yeah. Sadly. Uh, may- yeah, maybe the same, honestly. Just seeing like how he was such a, a kind of a fun loving guy that was just sort of. Yeah, like you know, I, I I should be here. I get that I belong here because I'm you know first round pick. I did all this stuff at Ohio State, and I'm here now. But like, I I, I think about other things too. You know, just sitting down with him was pretty refreshing. There at training camp, I'll uh, I'll give a positive one. Uh, I'll say that for Haskins, his first win against the Lions. I was just getting back from a bachelor party. I landed at like eight in the morning that day. It was an ugly game against Detroit, but I think he led a game winning field goal drive. Um. Late in the fourth quarter, and they got a win. And it was the first time that he would led them to a victory. Uh, Taylor Heineke, it's got to be the playoff game against the Bucks, hitting the Tampa Bucks game, yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, which of his six throws against the Chargers do you remember most? Seriously. Like, what are you supposed to say? Uh, incorrect offseason hype is what I remember about Fitzpatrick. Uh, Garrett Gilbert, deep shot to McLaurin down the left sideline. I'll I'll defer to you on that one. I literally don't. I couldn't pull a single throw he made. Carson Wentz, the comeback against the Jags where he threw four touchdowns. Uh, the Week interception one. on the screen pass. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Uh, how about uh, spiking the ball into the ground twice on swing routes this weekend with running backs with no one around them eight feet from him? I mean, that literally happened yeah. two times. I'll just I'll happen. never unsee that. And then, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Howell season. It's time. We go. We've gotten to the present. Speaking of which, you're going to hear Sam Howell with reporters. His press conference just took place next right here on Grant and Danny on The Fan. January 4th, 2023, Grant and Danny on The Fan. Day one of the Sam Howell era that probably will last one week. I don't think they're playing is that Sam Howell's in play to start next year. Hopefully that is not the plan, but they are trying to get a look-see at him as they go into the offseason. Fifth-round pick out of North Carolina. By the way, his offensive coordinator and play caller at UNC, Phil Longo, who's now going to be the OC at Wisconsin, is going to join the show today at 5 o'clock, coming up in an hour and a half. So we'll talk to him about his pupil, Sam Howell, getting his first NFL start, what he does well, what he doesn't do well what the game plan should be to make him comfortable against the Cowboys. But this was Sam Howell with reporters in Ashburn today after being named starter. I was excited. Uh, you know, I've been working hard all year, and I was kind of waiting for, for an opportunity to go out there. You know, I kind of assumed that what the circumstances are, I might have an option to go, uh, the, the ability to go out there and play this weekend. So, you know, I'm excited for it. 
where do you feel like your game has progressed most kind of over the course of the season and specifically in the period where you the the number two just kind of getting mm-hmm. that live work against the defense? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I've learned so much throughout this year. Um, and I really can't talk about one thing. I've, 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 I've really learned so much um, just from watching the games and seeing how Taylor goes about his business and seeing how Carson goes about his business. Um, just from those two and those two guys have been so great to me this whole entire year. Um, and even today at practice, they were awesome to me. And so I'm just so blessed to be in a room with those guys, and they've really you know, helped me come a long way in my development. Trying to put myself in your shoes because this is your dream. Like You've been dreaming about this moment probably your whole life of starting a game in the NFL. I mean, just take me through those emotions of how this is going to be a dream come true. Yeah, it really is. You know, I've worked, like you said, I've worked my whole life to – to get to where I am right now and you know when coach told me the news this morning I was super excited and I'm just gonna go out there and try to give it my all you know I'm not gonna try to worry about you know all the other things I'm just gonna go out there and try to give my teammates everything I got um, and go try to win a game. Practice reps versus regular season reps obviously completely different what, what do you think is going to be your biggest challenge on Sunday? Yeah I mean I think just trying to get up to game speed you know I think game speed always is a little different and I mean I haven't played a game and since the preseason, um, but I've been I've been staying locked in mentally um, through the games and trying to play the game from the sideline each and every game. Um, you know, it can be hard at times, but I, I feel like I've done a good job of that all year long, um, so I feel like I'll be all right. You mentioned being in a good QB room. In what way specifically have Taylor and Carson helped you grow throughout the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they've, they've, they've given me some pointers here and there, and, you know, they're always – when we're when we're doing drills or practice, if they see something, they're always telling me something, and and just you know standing back and just watching, um, and, and seeing how how they are coming off the field and the conversations they're having on the sideline. There's just so many things, um, and and I really couldn't say enough nice things about those guys, and it's just so awesome to be with you know two veteran guys that have been, both been through a lot in their careers, um, and are both still willing to help me. What would you say about your game now that? might be different from a year ago when you were at the college ranks now that you've seen so much and been able to learn all this yeah you know that's a good question I think I've come a long way mentally and I think I understand a lot more about defense um and especially in our offense I think I've come a long way mentally and I understand what we're really trying to do on offense and I think I think I'll go out there and and, and be all right you know I have a lot of really good players around me um some good weapons O-line's playing well and we have a good running game as well so I feel good about the opportunity to go out there and do well you have any plans to have extra family or friends in attendance? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see today. I, ha- I really haven't told anybody anything because I really didn't know, you know, what the what the deal would be until this morning, um, probably when you guys found out. So I'm sure my phone's probably blowing up. People wanting to come to the game, so I'll try to figure that out tonight. So I don't have to deal with it for the rest of the week. What do you think would mark a successful first start? What kind of parameters are you putting in place for yourself? Yeah, to win. You know, obviously the situation is what it is. You know, we're kind of out of the whole playoff race, but. You know, I don't. I don't take any games for granted. You know, this game is the most important game of my life, and it should be the most important game of everybody on the team's life. You know, it's our next game, and that's that's the mentality I have, and the mentality I'm trying to get across to my teammates as well. You know, we're playing to win. You know, no matter if we can't go to the playoffs, it's it's a game. In the NFL, it's you know what we all what we all work for. Coaches too. You know, they all dreamed of of coaching the NFL, so we're gonna go out there and give it our all. What's your rapport like with Terry and Curtis? Some some of those receivers that you might not have had as many reps with over the year. Yeah, I mean, I. Today, really in practice, was my first time getting the opportunity to throw to those guys, um, and they're both, they're all three of them are really good players. I got to throw to Jahan some when we first got here as rookies, um, but Terry and Curtis really not that much. Um, so it was fun to get out there with those guys and throw those guys a couple of balls today, and we'll be working hard all week to make sure we have to have our time right and everything. What stood out to you about those guys? Yeah, Terry. Um, Terry's fast, man. He can fly around the field. We were we really weren't, weren't full speed at practice today, so I didn't get a true feel for it. 
Uh, but I've been watching the guy all year. I've been watching him since since I got here. So he's just been so much fun to watch. And Curtis, you know, he's a special player. There's not many people in this league that can do what Curtis does. Um, so I just got to try to do the best I can to get Curtis the ball in space and just let him do what he does. As you're learning how new receivers, uh, just their timing, the rhythm, whatever, I mean, what kind of goes into that process from your perspective as a quarterback? What are the things that you're thinking about mm -hmm. um, as you're throwing to them? I mean, I think the main thing is just trying to be on the same page as those guys. So having a lot of dialogue with them and communicating with them, let them know what I'm thinking, what they're thinking, and especially in like when we're playing like some zone type coverages, let them know what kind of windows they're they're thinking about sitting in, and just different stuff like that. Um, and and those guys are awesome. They're all really good guys and easy to communicate with. Um, and we had a good, good day out there at practice today, and we'll try to continue that for the rest of the week and go on and have a good day on Sunday. Generally, what do you what do you hope to prove in your in your one game here before the season ends? Yeah, I mean, I, I really try not to worry about what I have to prove to people. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I want to you know prove to my teammates um, that I, that I can that I can I can do this job, and I just want to prove to them that I'm I'm capable of playing in the NFL. Um, and really, more than anything, I just want to prove it to myself. You know, I know, I know how hard I've worked my whole entire life to to get this opportunity. Um, so I just want to go out there and make the most of it. Sam, what did you learn about yourself when you were running the scout team? Yeah, I mean, I think when I, especially at practice when I wasn't doing much, I think I learned how much I really love football. And me not playing, I, I learned how much I really miss being out there. And it, it really just kind of made me appreciate the game more than I probably was at the time. Um, so just, I had so much fun running the scout team and, and helping the guys out. But I think just this whole experience this year of not playing and doing some scout team stuff, it really made me appreciate football a lot more than I did. When did you think that you were more ready for this kind of an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, probably towards like halfway through the year, I thought, you know, my develop has come, my development has come a long way, and I started to feel really comfortable in the offense um, and mentally, and so I, f I feel really good about where I am right now. Um, Sam, some of the other quarterbacks in your rookie class have started games this year. How much were you paying attention to them, both just to see how they were doing and also just maybe see how your peers were managing uh, those first starts? Yeah, I'll, I'm always, you know, kind of watching. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge football fan, so I'm always – kind of tuned in to what's going on around the league. And there's been a lot of rookies that have gotten to play this year. I think a lot of them have done a really good job. Um, and I know a lot of those guys, so it's kind of fun to, you know, see them go out there and just do their thing. I think the main thing you see from a lot of them, they're just going out there and just playing their game. Um, that's what I'm going to go try to do on Sunday. Uh, Ron said that, you know, one of the reasons he trusted you to start was he talked to your teammates and they said they had faith in you. I was just wondering what, what that means to you and kind of how your relationship with them has grown over the course of the year. They, they believe in me really means the world to me, and I'm going to go out there and try to try to make them proud. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. At Sam Howell's first meeting with the media since being named the starting quarterback from uh, within the last hour out in Ashburn today, and you hear it right now on Grant and Danny. What would you make of that? Really likable guy. I, I mean, you know, said all the right things, won the press conference if there is such a thing, but you, you can sort of tell. I mean, he, you know, he, he had the perspective of somebody that was an afterthought, right? He was, a, it was the other two guys show, the veterans. He's sitting back, absorbing as much info as he can. Probably didn't get near the reps that you're used to. I mean, you go from being the guy for three years, uh, in college and before this past season was thought of as a potential first round pick. And it's way, way, way back in the line time. And you've got to figure out a way to make the best of it. And, and it sounds like he did just that. Yeah, I think that um, he's very confident. You know, he comes off that way anyway. And I wonder mm -hmm. if he almost talked his way into the the gig, to be honest with you. I mean, Rivera. How so? What do you mean? Well, Rivera in his press conference, and, and maybe we could play this clip later in the show, maybe next hour. But he said that he had, I'm going to paraphrase for a second. 
I decided on Heineke last night. That was my thought. Today, I went and I talked to Sam and I talked to other people, and he said he was ready. They all thought he was ready. Now, I wonder if he had a concern or a fear. It's just not fair to put this guy on the field against this defense. It's not a good thing to do for his development. What if he struggles? And I wonder if Sam Howell basically fought for himself in some way and said, I can do this. Like, let me Interesting. do this. Let me go play. And now, I know that Rivera said the only person he talked to wasn't Howell, right? Uh, the offensive coordinator, I'm sure Scott Turner, had a say in this, as well as other people in the building. He even said some mm-hmm. people he, he confides in, maybe even outside of the building, uh, helped him make the decision. But I just don't get the sense that if you're sitting down with Hal and you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to go with Taylor and play him early. Look, kid, the Cowboys are going to be playing the defensive player of the year, maybe in Parsons, and you know they're going to be giving it their all in the first couple quarters. I just don't know if you're ready for that yet. You know, we'll get to you when they start pulling some starters. If he goes, let me do this thing for real. Like, Give me the week. Give me yeah. the reps. Let me go out and play four quarters. If they kick my teeth in, tell me I told you so. But let me get a shot at this thing. And I just wonder you know, if that might have been part of the, the conversation. There could be something to that, Grant. Yeah, there could be something to that. I mean, because the argument against, right, and I don't buy this for the record, but just I'm, I'm playing this out, is well, what if it goes badly? What if it goes so badly that we never get to see the real Sam Howell? You know what I mean? Like, it's he's so damaged he becomes David Carr or, you know, one of the other guys that are now kind of afterthoughts, a Joey Harrington, right, a type quarterback. And I bet you Sam Howell, who can advocate for himself if, if to, to play out your scenario, goes, that's not going to happen to me. You know what I mean? Like if if we get if we get our ass kicked, I'll work harder. You know, like I'll come back. It's not going to derail me in my career and what I can do and you know belief in my own abilities. That th- there might be something to that. Or on top of that, you know, that well, th- this is a, another kind of argument, I guess, different conversation. But uh, this isn't the number three overall pick. Like if you do ruin right. Sam Howell, for right. lack of a better term, it's a fifth round pick who you drafted as a project to probably be a long term cheap backup. Yep. Whoops. <laughs> you know what I, I know. mean? And, I, I, I know. It, I said that in the first segment. It sounds harsh, but yeah. it's, again, it's not the National Fairness League, right? I mean, that's that. It, it that's one of those to make an omelet, you broke an egg. Top of the hour, Beltway Blitz at four o'clock on the teams in town you care the most about, including Alex Ovechkin scoring not one but two more goals last night. The thirty-seven-year-old is on pace for fifty-seven goals. Just outrageous Just what he's doing. And our double play is next. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. Grant and Danny on The Fan. I'm just scrolling through some of the responses on Twitter to my list of the over two dozen quarterbacks in the 2000s to start a game for the Commanders. And that list is growing, by the way. With Sam yes, getting the nod this weekend. But there are some hilarious responses. One guy goes, who the bleep is Garrett Gilbert? <laughs> that one's not even 11 years ago, sir. That one was yeah. a few months ago. That was last December. You should remember that one. That was the COVID starter. Uh, my favorite line, we did an entire segment going through the memories of all these guys, was we get to Case Keenum and Danny says, I don't have a Keenum memory. <laughs> Dude, that was it. I, <laughs> that I don't was really have end. a Keenum memory. Like, he played, I could, could, I mean, I know it happened. I know he started several games. If I had to guess, I mean, I'm not looking it up. I, I, if he start, I, did he start seven games here? I was going to go with seven or eight, six, six or seven, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I don't remember anything about it. I'm, like, it's so unmemorable. The post to McLaurin, you remember, the 75-yard touchdown against the Eagles in Terry's first quarter. 
I only do career. now that you said it. Yeah. That that was his. Because I remember Terry McLaurin scoring, and I'm going, "Hey, this guy might be pretty good. Maybe this stuff they did. This is the first time they promised me someone was good, and he actually delivers early on in his career." So I remember that about Terry. I, I'd completely forgotten the case Keenan was involved even remotely. Hey, by the way, uh, this is actually a good quarterback. I wanted to talk about for a second. Lamar Jackson didn't practice today again. Again. This yep. is 31 days since he hurt his knee. And mm-hmm. there are rumors out there and there are stories in the media's kind of drumming this up that he's basically slow playing his recovery because he's trying to send a message about getting paid. And I think John Harbaugh inadvertently maybe fueled some of those flames, although I, I don't buy that. I'll just be outright and say that. I, I don't think that's what's happening. But comments like this don't help. When asked about Lamar Jackson's status for this weekend, John Harbaugh said, quote, I'm just going to leave all that stuff alone and focus on the game and have the guys ready for the game, end quote. What does that mean? I don't want to answer your question. That's what that means. Cool, I guess. He could really easily just say, guys, Lamar is dealing with a knee injury. He's working his butt off to get back as fast as he can. He's injured. Leave him alone. Like, yeah, isn't it it pretty simple? Did you say that? Yeah, it, it is to me. This feels like an annual thing with them, though, by the way, doesn't it? I, I can't prove this, but it feels like we just did this with him and them last year, where an, an injury happens, which sucks. Obviously, it's not, no fun. But then it's a, he'll be back in a week. He'll be back in may, maybe two. He'll take his time. He'll be back soon. And then it's four, working on five, didn't practice again. It's just, you know what I mean? Like it, the, the thing we talk about with, with this organization, and, and it's way worse here than it is up there. They're successful and normal and calm and do things reasonably. But here it's the incorrect setting of expectations. Don't tell me two weeks when it's going to be five. I don't know. You can't know, but maybe one time err on the side of caution and then have it be a fun surprise that he's back in three instead of six. You know what I mean? Like it's the, my, my, my Baltimore, family uh my you know i married into a, a, a ravens family the people that follow it are are super irritated about this where it's like stop telling us it's it's going to be a week or two when we know it's not like not one of them believed it was going to be one to three weeks they all knew it was going to be more and now here we are and everyone's annoyed yeah i, I know all about the under promise under deliver thing and then yeah. in washington's case i guess it's sometimes over promise and under deliver i know but, all about uh, that yep i got that one covered uh, before we get to our double play, quick tweet at Grant H. Paulson. You get it, Danny, up at Funny Danny. Uh, Chris says, in honor of Sam Howell getting the start, you guys should do some kind of chicken nugget bits. He says, maybe who can eat the most chicken nuggets in 10 minutes? Well, look, he doesn't eat steak. He's never had a steak. He's never had seafood. He doesn't eat red meat. He's never had any red meat. But he eats chicken nuggets and he eats chicken tenders. So I, yep. I will say as a show that if they beat the Cowboys, we could do some kind of chicken tender or chicken nugget bit on Monday. You feel good about that? I feel great about that. I, I think it just involves, like, cause remember we did the, the super inventive. The junkies got it started. They lit the fire with QB quarter of or QB quarter after. I can't remember I the name of the segment. QB quarter after or QB quarter, quarter of or something. Yeah. Quarter of after. And then we started just naming positions on the field and eating food. Yeah. It was the all time genius thing. I'll be honest with you. Like, you thank God our brains are working. It was unbelievable. We had halfbacks and half racks where we ate ribs, like hoagies and, Halfbacks, maybe also, I don't know, we had sandwiches. The point is, we could just do that. We could do Sam Howell and, and chicken nuggets. It yeah. doesn't have a nice ring to it, but we'll just do like Sam. For every completion, we eat a chicken nugget. I think that's fair. Uh, for every 10 passing yards as a show, we have to eat a, a chicken strip. 
You know, so, something like that. Oh my God. Actually, that. <laughs> what if he goes for Put that down on Friday's rundown, Darius. We have to come up with it. Based on his stats as a show, we have to collectively eat that chicken nuggets or chicken tenders. So it's one nugget for every, maybe it's every completion, and it's one tender for every 10 yards, and a touchdown is an entire, like, uh, a four pack of tenders or something. We'll, we'll, we'll iron it out, we'll workshop it. Whoa. But, Put that on the rundown for Friday. Uh, you think I want to do this? I don't want to do this, Danny. I mean, this isn't about eating chicken. This is about Sam Howe. We have to support the young man. You we know that. Do, yes. Yeah, uh, it is time for our double play. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. Brought to you by GovSmart Intelligent IT Solutions. For government, visit GovSmart.com. I got a show recommendation, GP. Middle of Season 2 on Yellowstone. This is a show set in Montana. Kevin Costner. By the way, if you just give me a grizzled guy in his 50s and early 60s kind of grunting and being annoyed all the time in like a Western setting, I'm in. Josh Brolin in Outer Range, I'm in. Kevin Costner in this show, I'm in. Uh, there are many hateable characters, so this to me is like what succession is trying to be. Remember the show on HBO that's about like a rich family that's super annoying and I hate all the characters and it's not that much fun? This is a great version of that. With constant danger, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of politics stuff. Um, the show's awesome. Huge, but I see, I see the hype. I understand it now. I get it. Yellowstone, heavy buy recommendation on this one, Jeeps. This is a Grant Paulson show, by the way. You can do this one and you should do this one. It is really, really, really entertaining. Really good. Just a bunch of tough people. Like, I just, I think about like how just lily soft, tissue paper soft I am. These people are like hanging barbed wire fences and like fighting bears and like there's an eight year old kid that stomps out a uh, a rattlesnake that he's stuck in a tube with and wow. another kid like uh, an another guy has to like wrestle coyotes and they're, they're 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 doing stuff with horses and the and the whips not the whip one time with the um uh, lassos just tough men and women doing tough men and women things really really good show though I'll give it eight out of ten carbohydrates heavy by recommendation I'm on season two you would love it so I know that I would love it and I do really want to watch it. I don't have Paramount is the issue that I'm running into. And it's just one of so, those, do I really want to add another one of these apps when I'm already going to have to get YouTube TV for Sunday Ticket? And that, you're asking a great running. question. I don't know how I have it. My wife says we should watch it. I'm like, I said the same thing you said. She goes, we have it on Peacock. Now, I don't know that I have Pe I didn't know that I have Peacock. I said into my little um, uh, remote, I go Yellowstone. And it's like, how do you want to watch it, dude? You got multiple choices. And one of them was through our little cable thing somehow. We had mm. it. I don't know how we had it, but we had it. Good. But I'm with you. Yeah, I I don't think I have that. I'll, I'll try to talk to my remote and see if it talks back. And talk, gives, right, talk right to your remote. Gives me Tell a them. show. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if I have it, I'll watch it. I don't think I do, and I'm just not ready to get Paramount. For, like, I've done enough of I want to watch one show, I'm going to get that one app, and then I don't get rid of it because either it's impossible totally. to or I find other things I like. And so that's where I'm at. But you're 100% right, I think, in that the show, like I've heard for a year and a half that this you show would love it. is bangering. This is how this works, by the way. Show comes out and gets popular. Year and a half later, Danny watches it and does a show review, and then he makes me watch it. And then I watch it like three years after everyone has watched it. So now uh -huh. Danny has people to talk to about it, like th th a little bit, because it's probably onto a, a new season or whatever. But then by the time I watch it, no one's still watching it. So that's our very vicious uh, trend here. It's actually pretty have. much exactly the cycle. That's not even there's there was nothing incorrect that you just said. Like you always <laughs> watch shows a year and a half after they're at yeah. their peak, and then you're the one that gets me to watch the show. 
And by the time mm-hmm. I get around to it, it's way, way, way too late. So I, I watched the, so it's now I think on season four or five, maybe, and they're doing new episodes, I think, nowadays. And we watched episode one when there were only a couple of seasons. My wife and I did. And she was just like, eh. And I was like, could we please do this show? And she had no interest. It was like last week she goes, I want to watch Yellowstone. I'm like, fine. Let's Sign go. me right the hell up. And we rip, we ripped through like a dozen of them. They're I've, awesome. I've heard nothing but good things. I've also heard great things about the Beltway Blitz, which comes your way oh, next yes. on Grant and Danny. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 